The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Forums Podcast, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to the Home Cinema Podcast for February. Coming up, we discuss Steve's trip to Japan to see Sony and we also cover the Panasonic convention held in Hamburg. And like I said, joining me on the podcast tonight is Steve Withers. Good evening, Steve. Evening, Phil. Um, You have been over in Japan. Uh, It was an invitation from Sony. You were lucky enough to uh, be asked to go over on behalf of AV Forums. And uh, just to explain to everybody, this was a, a press trip where um, uh, lots of UK journalists went over, uh, AV journalists went over uh, to have a look at the TV division and some other stuff. And um, there are NDAs in place for certain things that we're not going to be able to talk yeah. about, um, such as C-LED. Um, we can only discuss what was disclosed at CES, uh, and we've already discussed that. Yeah, um, but- fortunately. <laughs> But there were other products um, on show. You were showing the, the 2012 uh, basic lineup of, of what's coming. So um, why don't you take us through that? Yeah, Phil, um, as you say, it was very nice of Sony to invite not just me, but obviously a number of AV journalists, I think uh, 16 in total, uh, from the UK over to, over to Tokyo. Um, it was arranged by their TV division, so it's, it was very much TV-focused, although we did actually look at some other stuff too, specifically um, some of the AV products, amps, and um, and also the, the VW1000 projector, which, of course, we've already seen at the event that Sony organized with us back in December. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was mostly involving TV. So the idea was, I think I think Sony have kind of realised that maybe they've dropped the ball a bit over the last couple of years in terms of um, in terms of their TVs. They haven't perhaps delivered what we expect from them in terms of performance, and they've definitely lost ground to companies specifically um, Samsung. I think so. Uh, I think part of the idea behind this trip was for them to show us their new product lines for um, for 2012. Uh, to show us uh, the, the, the strategy behind it, the thinking behind it, um, you know, to, to show the people that design the TVs, to meet the people that uh, have built the technology within the TVs, to show us some of the technology within the TVs, to explain why it's there and what they're trying to achieve. And also that they did quite a few comparisons between their TVs uh, and competitors' TVs. So, I mean, certainly for me, it, it was absolutely fascinating uh, and a rare opportunity really to actually go somewhere like Tokyo to meet the engineers at Sony and to talk to them about their products and, and to raise some of the issues that we found in our reviews in the last year or so, but also to sort of see what they've got in the, in the pipeline. So, you know, I mean, obviously, in terms of, um, in terms of design, uh, they went through, you know, the, the, they're still using their, what they call their monolithic design, which is, uh, which obviously as people know is 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 kind of a, a very uh, minimalist look. Um, but they did notice in 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 research, in market research, that people said they liked the minimalist look, but they also found it a bit blocky, a bit chunky, a bit masculine. I think was the word that they used. Um, so what they tried to do is to retain that minimalist feel, but also to soften the edges a bit. So it's got curved edges, silver trim. Um, less of the old um, design had that kind of um, block of which was basically a sound bar that you slid the TV into and angled at six degrees. They replaced that with um, with with a more of a stand that kind of TV almost floats above. But there are speakers built into the stand, forward firing speakers. So the idea is to, you know, to give it more an airy, lighter look, but also to improve the sound quality. Because I think Sony were very aware of the fact that as TVs have become thinner, 
um, uh, obviously micro, um, speakers have become, you know, um, smaller and they and they tend to be hidden away and invisible and downward firing. And, the, and yeah, everyone knows the sound quality of modern super slim TVs is, is pretty poor. Um, so they've really tried to address that. And what, what they've done is they've developed a new uh, a new speaker. Well, I don't suppose it's a new speaker technology, but certainly I'd never heard of it before. Um, using technology that actually, actually was developed by NASA. Uh, and what they're using is is um, basically uh, in a normal speak, speaker, you'd have um, a coil and around that would be uh, a buffer and then a magnet. Um, they've created a, a sort of liquid magnet that acts as both the magnet and the buffer. Um, and the idea is you can get better sound from a much smaller speaker, much thinner speaker. And it certainly does sound pretty good. I mean, they, the moment they're using them for some of their AV products, but the idea is, I think, you know, to incorporate those into, into the TVs uh, possibly next year. So you get um, a much, you know, much, much better sound from what is still quite a thin chassis. Although I have to say that the chassis aren't as thin as some manufacturers. And I think that once again, Sony were very aware that picture quality has, has suffered a bit because of these super slim chassis, particularly when you've got edge, edge LED lighting and you're bouncing off a mirror to create the backlight, you get the very uneven, um, you know, cloudy backlight, which we've been complaining about with most edge LED TVs. And I think Sony, whilst the TVs are still edge lit, um, the wider chassis, the deeper chassis gives them an opportunity to uh, to control the, the backlight better and to create a more even look. And certainly in the TVs that I saw, the backlight did look pretty good, but no, it looked nice and even. It didn't look obviously cloudy, um, which, but I mean, I think as everyone probably knows, that can be a bit of a, um, a bit of a lottery sometimes when it comes to backlight uniformity. Um, so there's the design, there's the the sound, there's the pitch quality. They actually did, a, it was very interesting, they did a lot of market research um, globally asking customers, um, you know, existing customers, people who are thinking of buying a Sony, people just thinking of buying a TV generally, you know, what they rated as most, and again, basically 20 categories, um, things like picture quality, price, screen size, etc. And they were, and they rated them in from 1 to 20. Uh, and the number one re- ranking in all, their que- in all the questionnaires was picture quality, pa- amazingly. Picture quality was, was the one people were most interested in. Uh, and then there was uh, um, price, of course, screen size and sound quality. And those were always the top four. Um, so Sony definitely sort of concentrated on trying to create TVs that um, you know are attractive, but also have uh, a good picture quality, good sound quality, uh, and large screen sizes, and also um, you know hopefully be competitive on price. But what was really interesting was that the top, the bot- sorry, the bottom three, the bottom three categories uh, were 3D, um, video on demand or video um, internet video, uh, and um, internet browsing. Those were the bottom three that everyone chose, basically. Um, now, this was obviously global, uh, and I think if you, they did say that when they did the questionnaire in the UK, the results were a bit different because in the UK specifically, um, catch-up TV and video on demand is much, much more popular because of things like BBC iPlayer. So, in fact, that was more like middle of the table, around about 10 or 11 in the UK. But it's still interesting to see that, that whilst companies – Whilst most of the manufacturers are are certainly pushing smart TV very heavily, I mean, we'll come on to it in a minute when we get to Panasonic. But same with Sony, they had they had their um, you know, they they had they, had, they were pushing their um Sony Sony Entertainment Network, which is their latest version of their platform, very heavily. Um, and yet it doesn't seem as though there's a great deal of interest currently in in, in internet TV when 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 with, with the consumer. Although having said that, um, Sony did tell me that uh, of the TVs they sold over Christmas. Uh, in the UK, 50% of them were, uh, we, uh, sorry, of the TVs that were internet capable that they sold over, over Christmas, 50% of them were registered and activated. So so I guess about, about 50% of the people who are interested and 50%, I suppose, aren't interested at the moment. But it's certainly, um, they had, we, we went through quite a bit on their, um, 
on their new platform, which does look very attractive. And one of the complaints that we've had in the past has been that uh, it's a very disparate, you know, there's been bits here and bits there, and you have to go through that crossbar menu to find what you want. The, the new um, Sony Entertainment Network is um, accessed by a button, SEN on the remote control, goes straight, you straight there, and all the video, all your audio, uh, you know, uh, all the apps, everything is on one site with a little screen showing you the TV or what currently watching or whatever the current video feed is. So it was a very, quite attractive and a lot more centralized and easier to use platform. And I quite liked it, actually. It looked very nice. Um, and they also showed us Google TV. Now, of course, this has been a long time coming. I think they launched it in 2010 in the States. Uh, and there's no fault of Sony. I think it's mostly been Google that have have, um, have been a bit slow off the mark in terms of uh, developing the, the platform. But they did show us the um, the add-on box. Uh, it looked very slick, uh, and um, you know, lots of apps and there's and there's Android Marketplace and this sort of stuff on it. But I have to say, um, it didn't really, for me at least, it didn't do anything that you already couldn't pretty much do on the Sony TVs themselves. I mean, it added a few things, but I, I can't say that I found it as particularly exciting and i don't think it's even going to be released in the uk until summer at the earliest so it's still going to be some way off but uh, that's another thing that they've been uh, developing and they showed us um yeah and then as i said we looked at some of their um, av products they had their, their new amplifier which, which which was very impressive um that had um, that actually had uh, they, they had some height speakers um now this is nothing new of course i mean yamaha were doing it 20 years ago i think but uh, what was unusual was they had, they had a, one of the Sony, Sony the Sony sound engineers in 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 Hollywood had taken the movie Salt um, with Ange, um, Angelina Jolie and remixed the soundtrack. So instead of it being a standard 5.1 um, soundtrack, it was actually remixed as a 7.1 soundtrack. But the, the two additional channels weren't two additional rear channels; they were two additional height channels. Um, and, and you know you, you could you could tell there was additional height in the sound in particular scenes, but I have to say I couldn't really see the point of it. You know, unless it, I mean the scene they showed us involved a floor being blown away, so clearly you were the, the noise wasn't meant to be above you. But I mean, generally in general viewing, I, I'm not sure how useful that would be. And clearly there aren't any films mixed that way. I mean, all films are pretty much mixed with 5.1 soundtrack. There's a few that are mixed 7.1 for theatrical release, but generally they're 5.1 soundtracks. And, you know, it, it seemed a bit gimmicky. I mean, it was not, it was cool to be the first people to ever see that. Um, but uh, I don't, I don't really see it catching on, but otherwise it was a very solid app and it sounded pretty good. But uh, we also saw, as I said, the, the VW 1000 again. Now that was the first time I had a chance to actually see it with 4k native material. Uh, when we saw it in London last year, it was, um, it was only showing 1080p upscaled. Um, uh, and uh, it did look very impressive with the four, with the 4K content. It was the Spider-Man trailer, um, uh, which uh, I believe they've been using on other demos, and they'll probably be using that in Bristol actually this weekend. Um, they uh, it, it looked great, but I, I know it, it was uncompressed and it was about 100 gigabytes or something like that. So for a two-minute trailer. So um, um, when I asked them about you know uh, delivery systems, they, they didn't have anything you know, to uh, tell me in terms of um, something coming down the line, unfortunately. Um, but I'm fingers crossed there is some sort of delivery system because the big problem with 4K is if you've got no way of delivering 4K content, all you're really doing is watching upscale 1080p, which looked very nice, I have to say, although I wasn't totally convinced by motion handling at times, particularly with camera pans. Um, although, and, and I think maybe they were aware of that because the content that they were showing uh, in the demos, one of them was The Leopard, which is a Visconti film, 63, big widescreen epic, with very st static camera shots. Uh, and I can't, and I can only assume that was deliberately chosen because it made that, you know, it looked great on the projector. But um, I think something like Transformers would have looked a bit different. 
Um, so it was a fascinating trip, and, and as I say, an absolute pleasure, and um, I'm very, I'm really glad that they invited us, and I got the opportunity to go and um, and to both meet the people at Sony. I mean, we, we met um, quite a lot of their um, senior management in the TV division. Um, you know, we had dinner with them, and they, they were very open and honest about you know about what Sony wants to do. You know, they were saying you know, they're quite 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 frank about the fact that they think they they've lost a march on uh, to um, to Samsung of late and uh, and that they're determined to come back this year and, and next and certainly uh, looking at the TV lineup um, you know I think they've got some really good TVs in the pipeline and, and, and uh, I mean obviously as always we can't wait to get them on board uh, and review them so okay Steve let's go back to the survey uh, which was quite interesting number one picture quality uh, we all know that picture quality very subjective thing um, yeah I think Sony's definition of picture quality would not be the same as our definition of picture quality uh, I have to say, I mean, they, they they spend a lot of time showing us their X Reality Pro engine, um, which, which uh, in some respects is quite good. Obviously, it does deinterlacing, it does scaling, which is fine um, for for non non high definition content. But there's also a lot of processing on high definition content as well. And um, you know, I, what, as I say, I, I think I mentioned it in, in one of my blogs that that um, you know our definition of picture quality, you know, is is to show. Rec 709 D65 un- unadulterated, you know, and, and as as, um, as accurately as you can, as the creators intended. Um, they they clearly are not doing that. Um, they're, they're, the X Reality Pro engine includes a database of images which they are using um, to to create the image, if you like, by comparing on a, at a pixel level. Um, now that's fine if you're scaling, I suppose, because scaling ultimately is about guessing. You know, you're you're filling in stuff that isn't actually there. So I don't have an issue with that so much. But uh, but it was, we've talked about sort of uh, 1080p images. Then there's no need for that kind of thing. And they were doing a there was a bit where it, it can uh, uh, it helps improve banding within images, but which it did. I mean, the banding disappeared, but then the image looked very processed and, and very video-like again, too smooth. Um, which I think is, is is quite popular in Japan because all the demos had loads of frame interpolation in them. It was it was really hard to sort of work out. Sometimes it was coming from the player, sometimes it was coming from the TV, but there was, it was just there all the time, and, and it was a, it was difficult to sort of really judge picture quality when it constantly had frame interpolation on. It's interesting um, you say that because uh, I mean, obviously, my experience of of dealing with uh, with Japanese companies in the past is that uh, there is a tradition in, in Japan that everything, um, or certainly the TV content, is shot at 93K in terms of white balance, and that they do go for overly vivid colours. It's it's a cultural thing in Japan, and unfortunately, you know, the engineers that are working on these displays, with, be it, you know, Sony or uh, Panasonic and so on, uh, they have their idea of, of what an image should look like, which is why, obviously, I said, you know, um, picture quality is a very subjective thing because the Japanese engineers have always traditionally had their idea of how an image should look. And and like you say, that's uh, a far, far cry from how it should look in terms of Western uh, philosophy when it comes to picture quality. Uh, and And it is quite interesting. It's quite interesting to see the cultural difference there because... Uh, you know, the US and, and Europe, we're used to seeing motion pictures and TV shows and so on shot at certain standards which don't apply in Japan. And I can understand why frame interpolation would be of interest in that market. Yeah, it's true, Phil. I mean, you're right. There are certain cultural differences. Um, and ultimately, I suppose, from our perspective, that that's fine as long as the TVs in question, um, you know, it can be calibrated to the standards that we, we use in, in the West, which is obviously, as you just mentioned, D65 and Rec. 709, and things like frame interpolation can be turned off, um, which which they can on the TVs. And, and interestingly, they had a really uh, useful feature, which was there's a uh, 
with 3D, um, if you uh, if you if you calibrate the white balance as you would do at uh, 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 2D65, there was then adjust an adjustment which which could adjust for the tint of the lenses. So um, it was quite an effective way of calibrating 3D, other than having to do it the way that people do at the moment, which is by basically putting the glasses in front of the of the meter. Um, so, so that, that 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 might prove useful. I mean, obviously, we'll see whether it actually works when we when we get one in for review. But um, but certainly, uh, they they did spend a lot of time showing us their um, bat lights, um, particularly the local dimming, um, because they had uh, a Kuro, a Panasonic uh, plasma. Uh, they had the LG LW980, uh, one of their um, uh, a nine two three from from last year. Then they had the um, uh, Samsung, Samsung D8000, uh, the, the LED one, and then also their new TV this year, the 853, I think it would be called in the UK, um, and all of them you know, had either were plasma or had backlight, a localised dimming, and um, they were sort of showing different, obviously the same footage on each TV, comparing and contrasting um, their performance, and um, I have to say that uh, obviously obviously the, the Kuro and the, and the Panasonic performed best in terms of you know, native blacks without any, any sort of trickery. But uh, the the new Sony, the 853's local dimming, it did look actually quite good. It minimised the amount of halo. There was I could see more haloing on the 923 from last year than I could on the 853 for this year. But um, what was interesting, they told me that they had less local dimming zones on the 853 than they were on the 923. But they said that what was more important was the processing itself. And, I mean, it certainly looked like it worked. Um, the black levels looked pretty good, certainly comparable to the Kuro and the... Um, and the uh, uh, Panasonic, but without you know without too much haloing. Uh, what what was disastrous was the nine eight the LW nine eighty in one one test, which was a scene from Harry Potter, the last Harry Potter movie, uh, just sort of descended into a black image and just lost all of its detail at one point. I thought the TV had broken. They obviously knew it was going to happen because they they were setting up the test. And of course, you know, I accept that when you're looking at these comparisons. Um, you know, you don't know exactly how everything's set up. I did actually look at the menus of the Google TVs, though, uh, to check how they were set up. And I think so, yeah, Sony were being reasonably fair. I don't think there was any any necessary trickery going on there or, or deliberately setting the other TVs to look worse. Samsung looked pretty bad, actually, in some of the tests that they did with them. Uh, it didn't, didn't come out at all well, uh, which was surprising because I mean, I, I, we have reviewed the Samsungs and uh, and they haven't been that bad in, you know, in some of our reviews. But uh but it, it made for an interesting comparison, and, and obviously it's designed to put their TV in its best possible light, uh, and I accept that fact. But uh, it's still made for it's still it's interesting just to have that many TVs in front of you, and then fiddle around with them, and put different different signals in, and see and see how they performed. Large pinch of salt. <laughs> it's always the same with these manufacturers uh, set up these types of demos. I mean, they'll always pick material that make their thing look better than the others and you know even though you said you went through the menus and stuff like that i mean it you're talking about a pre-production set as well so is the production uh, version of that tv gonna be as good so i always have a large pinch of salt when when yeah, you see yeah, things, I, I, especially I, I, when manufacturers are putting these things on and it's not independent in any way that'd be a pretty stupid manufacturer to put something on and, and, and make your tv look bad wouldn't you really yeah exactly exactly so uh, interesting from that point of view i mean if they're saying picture quality is is uh, you know their one number one thing for this year? Then great, bring it on. Yeah, we'll, good uh, news. Good news. We'll have a look at them uh, further down the line. The other thing I'm going to pick up on height channel, like you said, you know Yamaha has been doing the front fill, front surround type speakers for twenty odd years. Um, I think, yeah, I think the DS, the DSP A1, which was the first sort yeah. of mainstream Yamaha mid nineties. <laughs> yeah, it it was the first Yamaha. 
that I owned, and then I went from that to the 3090. Um, and they made a big thing about the 3090 because it was the first AC3 um, uh, uh, receiver. Uh, no, we're really going back in time here. <laughs> it wasn't even a receiver, it was just an amplifier back then. But we're really going back. But, you know, th- that technology's been around. Dolby did it recently, maybe two, three years ago. They tried to make a big thing yeah, of, did, of yeah. the height channel. DTS have done it recently. Um, THX have a 10.2 system with uh, height channels and all the rest. It's something that, that um, yeah, I think it was Laurie. Uh, no, it wasn't Laurie Fincham. It was actually Thomas and Holman. Um, so Odyssey, I've, I've also had a look at, at that kind of thing as well. And uh, the thing is, you know, um, it's all about creating ambience and, and creating the, a sound field where um, you're not aware of what's going on. You know, that's the whole point of surround sound. Your surround sound is supposed to immerse you into the, into the film and you're just you're supposed to lose yourself in the film. And if a mix is done right, it should never stand out anyway. Um, it should always have a, a certain degree of realism um, about it, um, adding in height channels. I've I've heard demos. I I had an Onkyo demo where, again, they'd had something mixed um, with the height channels. I couldn't tell the difference, um, to be honest. You know, if you yeah. really really listened, it had a slightly wider. You know, the front sound stage was slightly. Yeah, well, that, wider, you know, but that's that's what you've got DSP for. <laughs> If you want to create that effect, then use DSP and, and certainly, like I say, Yamaha have been doing it for years. I mean, a lot of the high-end amplifiers, um, a lot of the high-end processors, you can calibrate them so you've got a wider sound field if that's your type of thing, if that's what you want to hear. I don't, I, I just don't get it. Uh, the height channel, I think it's a gimmick and, and it's another way to sell another pair of speakers. <laughs> And and well, let's face it, <laughs> and let's let's face it. Most par- partners don't want five speakers in a subwoofer in a room, so they're not going to have seven or or ten Nine. or you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I can't imagine your wife letting you. I mean, also to be honest, there's also practicalities involved. I was thinking about it in terms of my setup. There is nowhere for me to put a set of height speakers because I got a two point three five one to one two point three five to one screen filling the whole wall um, up to the ceiling. So um, it would be impractical in my case. And I can, as you say, I can imagine plenty of partners would not be too happy about you sticking yet another set of speakers up on the wall and, uh, and above TV or screen. And let's face it, it's about um, how it's intended. Um, and there's, as far as I'm aware, there's only one theatrical sound system that uses more than uh, the 5.1 system. I know yeah, Dol- it's DDS, isn't it? Yeah, I know Dolby brought in a discrete channel recently. I mean, that's recently. I mean, it's been in the home for, uh, what, 10 years now that we've had... Uh, 7.1 capability yet there's very few there was uh, what five dvds that were mixed uh dts discrete um and we've had nothing else since then so yeah yeah in fact phil it wasn't until toy story 3 that a film was even mixed theatrically at 7.1 yeah that was that dolby was that, yeah, that was dolby system which like you say that was two years ago now so um so yeah i mean yeah it's it's one of these gimmick gimmicky things I think that um, you know like I say Onkyo tried it I was at a press launch three years ago when they tried it uh, Dolby have tried it DTS have tried it now Sony's going to try it you never know they might be successful they'll have a, a movie studio they have the access to Culver City sound mixing maybe the you know they'll say to directors you know add height channels and all the rest of it but like you say I don't think the partner be, be it a wife or husband or whatever is going to be very happy with extra channels in the in the living room or even in a dedicated cinema room i mean 
like you say, I mean, real estate, especially in the UK, is 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 at a premium. Yeah, true. One of the things we did have a look at, which which I found fascinating, particularly um, you know because of announcements at CES, etc., was um, we had a look at their. their obviously, everyone knows that, that Sony is famous for their um, CRT reference monitors for um, for post production houses, and um, they haven't been making those since I think it was two thousand and six, uh, largely due to um, um, sort of um, ecological factors related to making them, and they and they moved on to making uh, LCD uh, Pro monitors for for for, for um, production houses, and now they've just started making I think late last year they started making OLED um, monitors. So they had one of each set up in front of us, and they're all identical in terms of their size and build, etc. They looked absolutely the same, except the ones are CRT, ones an LCD, and one is an OLED, and um, the OLED was in the middle actually between the two, and with the lights down, the blacks on the CRT look great, very good. Obviously, on the LCD, not so good. The blacks on the OLED were unbelievable. It was just like a black hole, pitch black. It was like I, I, and there was some white writing on on the screen that was showing, being shown, and um, I sort of felt realized how you must have felt at that demo of Pioneer with the golden ring, because literally, <laughs> it was just these letters standing in the, you know, these letters in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nothing, just standing on this black background. Um, which just merged into the blackness around it. it. It was incredible how how deep the blacks were on that OLED screen. Um, that's a 20-inch professional monitor. It's about 25,000 euros. So clearly, um, it's not aimed at at our listeners, but um, but it certainly shows that a um, a that Sony are developing OLED. Um, so hopefully, you know, we might see something from along those lines going you know, further down the line. Um, and B, it just shows you what OLED is capable of in terms of picture image image quality. Yeah, I mean, that, that little 15-inch LG, uh, which I reviewed last year or the year before. Um, yeah, a long time ago uh, now, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was a long time ago now because they tend to forget about things in 2010 and 2011. Um, but yeah, I mean, what it's capable of um, is astounding. We've yet to see it in the bigger screen sizes. We've yet to test it in the bigger screen sizes. And of course, that's professional products that you're looking at there, Steve. I mean, that L- LCD screen that you're looking at, it would be anything LCD-wise that's on the market yeah, um, yeah. at the moment because it's designed for the professional professional side of things. So certainly, it sounds like a, an interesting trip. And we'll just pick up on the the VW1000, Steve. Um, uh, interesting that you mentioned the the motion artifacts because that's something that I picked up on straight away at our thing in, in London uh, before you arrived. I had... Uh, maybe an hour or so, um, just to myself, just to play about with the stuff before the forum members turned up. And it was one thing that I did point out to the engineer that was there. You know, I, I could see uh, blurring, especially in faces. We were watching Pirates of the Caribbean four, yeah, uh, and there was uh, detail loss in the faces when faces moved quickly uh, in the scene. You know, if it, if somebody was turning their head left to right or whatever. Um, so interesting that you picked up on that as well because that was the one thing, one little thing that, that did disappoint me about that. But in terms of the upscaled, I thought it looked, you know. Yeah, yeah, that was that was actually very, very impressive indeed. Um, you know, I mean, because obviously when you're dealing with a 1080p source on a 4K panel, I mean, it's the scaling is, is key in terms of, you know, not adding too much sharpening, but to give you a nice smooth image. I actually, actually sat, the, I sat at the front and I got up and walked up to the screen. I literally couldn't see any uh, pixel structure. It was it yeah. was quite impressive. And I mean, as as anyone who was at the demo last um, December will know, that's certainly the case. Uh, although at the demo last year, um, I think we both commented that uh, it was it, the blacks were a bit crushed, uh, and um, 
we weren't sure whether that was because the room it was in at the time was less than ideal. It had wooden floors and white walls and ceilings. No, it was the way it was set up. Yeah, because um, uh, even even in the uh, even in a demo in a screening room at Sony's headquarters in Tokyo, that you know it didn't. It still looked the black still didn't have a lot of shadow detail in them, uh, which surprised me. But that once again, there might be more set up. I mean, I mean, obviously, we need to hold judgment until we hopefully get one on to review and and then. You know, fully put it through its paces and find out what it's capable of. I'm always a bit wary of, of saying too much based upon you know show floors or even demos at, at head offices, just because we don't have control of the content, the testing, the environment, yeah. Yeah, etc. No, t- totally, totally agree with you on that. And uh, it'd be interesting to 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 see some uh, 4K native material. Yeah, well, that uh, was the thing because obviously well. in December we had, we had no 4K content to watch and no 3D content to watch either. And I did get a chance to see both in Tokyo. Um, the 3D content uh, looked good, except a heavy, heavy use of frame interpolation. Uh, and once again, I don't know whether that was the player or whether that was the projector, um, but but unfortunately, it was it, there was a lot of video, a lot of um, frame interpolation made it look very much like video. Um, and it, obviously, the scene they were showing was Avatar, of course. Um, but uh, but I mean, and of course, I'm very familiar with that film, having used it as a test disc for the last um, well, last seven or eight months. So um, so it, it didn't, it, you know, it looked, um, you know, it was good 3D actually, but but just uh, too much photometry. Now, obviously, you, hopefully, you could just turn that off. But it did, it wasn't didn't give me a chance to compare the 2D, which was definitely not frame interpolation, against the 3D, which was using it. But after, but after I said all that. It's still a very impressive projector. And if you are in Bristol, um, definitely go and check it out because it's definitely worth seeing. Okay, so uh, we'll leave Sony there. Um, it was it was good of them to invite us out there, so thank you very much, Sony. Uh, I'm, I know Steve enjoyed himself because um, he's, he's, <laughs> he's told everybody that will listen um, all about it. Um, we were in Hamburg for the Panasonic convention uh, just over the last two days uh, in terms of recording this it was on the Monday and the Tuesday and everybody that Steve bumped into he had to tell them he was, he'd been in Japan but anyway on to the Panasonic convention uh, always an interesting event uh, I think this is this is my fifth uh, convention they always go along the same lines uh, we see the new products we don't get told the prices because they're different in the UK from the rest of Europe of course as, as Brits we like to be <laughs> different from everybody else um but yeah. in, interesting this year steve for two things uh, that i want to discuss straight away uh, the first one is that uh, in terms of the plasma line it is a seriously reduced lineup this year yeah. um, of tvs gone are the s and the g and the v models well we didn't have a v model last year so that went last year so we've lost the s and the g this year which were the yeah. 2d only sets uh, to be replaced by uh, 3D sets, so we have the ST, the GT, the VT. Uh, at the other end of the market, you've got the UT entry-level 3D, and then you have the X and the XT, uh, which yep. are 720p models, uh, the XT, T, denoting it's 3D. Uh, so you can have an entry-level 3D TV at 720 this year, um, and I would guess that that's going to be around about the £500 mark, I would have thought. Yeah, they're kind of replacing the, what was the C3 last year, wasn't it? So that's, yeah. that's their new entry-level um, so, so the ST is interesting in terms of screen sizes. We go from 42, uh, 42, 50, 55, and 65 this year. Um, so great to see that a 65 come in at, at a decent price level, Steve. I mean, the yeah, I think that's going to be really popular, actually, Phil, isn't it? I mean, I think there'll be a lot of demand for a, a big screen 65-inch ST50. 
um, you know, uh, at a price, I guess, that's going to be more comparable to the large screen Samsung than the current yeah. um, or last yeah, year's well, VT30. The rumor is it's going to be uh, between 2.3 and 2.7. Yeah, right about in that. In terms of so prices. So say 2.5-ish. Yeah, so, so meet it in the middle at 2.5 is a good guess for that one, which is uh, interesting. Now, um, last year, uh, the GT30 was an extremely popular model. Um, at, a pr- at a decent price point and it had most of the features that the VT model had and you couldn't help but notice this year that the GT is going to be phased out because it just obviously took lots of sales away from the high-end VT screen. Yeah, yeah, I think they, I mean, <laughs> I think the problem was the GT was too good a TV uh, at a very, very attractive price and yeah, it obviously cannibalised sales of VT, the VT30 um, and this year they've decided not to make the same mistake twice. So there's only two screen sizes for the GT, which is 42 inches and 50 inches. And there's no 42-inch uh, VT50, which means clearly, you know, you can buy a 42-inch GT50 or you can go up to the bigger screen sizes with uh, the VT50. I'm guessing you'll find it difficult to, to find a VT, a 50-inch GT50. Um, they did say there will be limited availability through specialist retailers. I'm not quite sure what that means. Well, that's going but, to be your that's going to be your independence and yeah. your uh, Panasonic stores, definitely. Yeah. So, um, so there's going to be limited availability, uh, and there's no question there won't be any kind of GT product. Uh, in my opinion, there won't be a GT next year. It, it will be ST and VT or whatever the equivalent will be. Well, but, you're, um, you're saying in your opinion, I guess it's it's pretty much the opinion of everybody yeah, that was yeah, there. Yeah. You know, the I think they kind, of, they kind of agreed, they did sort of admit to it, so yeah. yes, yes. I mean, it, I, think, I think at one point they actually said next year, this, I, I think it may have been for Greece, <clears throat> at one point somebody actually said next year we'll have three prime, pre- premium lineup LED LCDs and two premium lineup plasmas. So that, that, that's from the horse's mouth, so... Yeah, it, it's pretty obvious um, what the strategy is this year. And, and really, I don't blame Panasonic for the strategy this year, which is to go into big screen LED TVs, LED LCD TVs, to be technically correct. Um, they're taking a hiding, as are Sony, uh, from Samsung and LG. Um, it only makes sense that, that they, you know, adapt to the market to, to survive. I mean, they made huge losses. Uh, and yeah. this is this is public knowledge. So we're not, you know, we're not telling people stuff that, um, we were told in confidence, and that's public knowledge. It's out there in the news um, regarding the, the losses that Panasonic have had over the last year. The fact that they've closed down factories as well. Um, the factory facility that I went to last year um, is the only surviving plasma plant. So that's factory four and factory five um, are the only ones still open. And that was a huge site. Um, so there really are... Um, basically channeling all their energies in into just two factories now obviously they've got overseas factories which will be more economical for them to run i mean japanese wise you know the yen is such a strong currency at the moment it makes sense for them to to look overseas at their overseas factories to to take up a lot of the production the lcd plant is still there which was the one that would opened when i was over last year um and they are obviously producing their own I- ips alpha panels but they're also bringing in third-party ips panels steve for the passive 3d which they've introduced this year so that was the yeah. the et5 uh, et5 ET5, ET5 yeah. is a passive the et50 is the active uh, entry-level models in their led lineup you know they, they said they were never going to bring in an active tv i mean it was one of the main thrusts of my visit over in Japan last year was um, on the last day when we had our, it was almost like a UN, 
<laughs> it's almost like a UN <laughs> Security Council meeting. You know, the Japanese engineers on one side and all the European journalists on the other. Um, and it was a it was a very frank question and answer session. And one of the 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 presentations we had at that was all about why active 3D is better than passive and why passive is is not a good technology. Also, a complete 180 degree uh, turnaround there from Panasonic. You can see why they do it though, because they need to have something in the shops. Uh, because if they don't have a passive model, people are going buy an LG. Yeah, well, I mean, let's be honest about this. Um, uh, 3D has not been a success uh, for any manufacturer, not just Panasonic, for any of them. It's, it's been, a, frankly, a failure. Um, and if you're trying to still push 3D as an entry-level product, it's a hell of a lot cheaper to do it as a, as a passive format than it is as active format, particularly um, you know, when it comes to the cost of the glasses. I mean, the, the ET5 will come with four pairs of passive glasses in it. The only other Panasonic TVs that come with glasses are going to be the WT50 and the VT50, which are the top-of-the-line LED, LCD, and plasma r- ranges. They'll come with two pairs of active shutter each. But, I mean, yeah, if, you, if you're trying to sort of put a foothold in or just get people to even be interested in 3D, you know, passive seems to be a more attractive way of doing it just because of the, of the price differential in terms of the glasses. I know that the panel can be a bit more expensive, but there's no question that if you've got a family of five, six people, that's a large outlay on, on two-shutter glasses. So um, so I can see why they've done it. I, I just find it quite humorous that uh, that they've got another manufacturer, and there's no prizes for guessing who, um, to produce that particular panel. And one of the reasons that they said that they were doing this was also because it was a 100 hertz panel to keep the cost down. It's difficult to do active shutter effectively on a 100 hertz panel, um, hence, the, hence the reason for bringing in a third-party one. Um, but it, it, I still, it, it did make us laugh, didn't it, Phil? Yeah, it did. But, I, I, you know, as we were beginning the, the guided tour, I did I did say, is that an LG panel? And he, he said, well, the company begins with two letters. <laughs> so yeah. at least to being honest. And, and you know, I, again... Uh, going back to the Sony thing, they were very laid back with with you uh, when you were on your trip. Certainly, my trip last year it was very much laid back, frank, honest, and so on. And again in Hamburg, uh, when we asked the questions, the answers were there. Which um, you know, just going back two or three years ago, people people like that, like Panasonic, like Sony, like uh, Samsung, and so on, they were very very closed uh, in terms of what they would actually tell you technically and, and what they would tell you in terms of business and so on. But I guess everybody's in the same boat at the moment. Everybody's struggling with uh, uh, the economy. The Japanese companies, especially because of the strong yen, I mean, that's that's just killing some of their, their well, export. Yeah, like double whammy, haven't they? Uh, the strong yen and the earthquake. So for them, it's been a, last year was a disastrous yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, um, we won't say where we, where we saw the... the um, Restricted information, which was surveying um, the UK TV market, it certainly wasn't the, the two companies that were discussing tonight, Sony and Panasonic. It didn't come from them, um, but that is that the UK market is completely saturated. Yeah. Uh, in terms of flat panel uh, purchases, because um, over the last four or five years, people have gone out because of the digital switchover. They've changed over to flat panel, whether that be LCD or plasma. Uh, plasma is still a slightly uh, <clears throat> sorry, Plasma's still showing a slight growth in terms of sales, but it's minimal compared to LED, LCD. But even then, uh, this manufacturer that we were speaking to um, said quite openly, well, who do we sell TVs to? Because the market is completely saturated. Yeah, actually, interestingly, Sony had similar um, data 
and this is not you know, it was in private it was, it was for public consumption similar data about the tv market uh, and quite frankly they, they said the us japan and europe western europe are saturated you know we can we can sell replacement tvs there but we've got real no no chance of growth their their areas of growth are going to be africa south america and the rest of asia uh, india particularly and china those are the areas that they, they can look at growth in but even with the growth in sales in those areas um, their profit margins are going to get squeezed because of just competition and, and lower costs and lower and, and lower margins. And you know, so from a TV manufacturer perspective, it's it's a tough you know, it's a tough time ahead because you know you, you've got a saturated market in the areas where you can sell for more of a premium, and the areas where you where you've got growth, you're going to have to cut your margins to compete. So it's not going to be easy. And, and I think you know products or product lines and features like 3D failing has not helped their cause either because obviously there's been a lot of R&D and expense involved in that and it hasn't really paid any dividends. Um, I think they really could do with some, some, new, um, some new feature or some, some new uh, technology to really help uh, generate some interest again um, in, in TVs, particularly in the sort of the higher end, higher premium Western markets of the US, Europe and Japan. Yeah, so which brings us back to 4K and OLED. Yeah, which brings us nicely onto that. <laughs> yeah, um, so obviously nothing this year. Although uh, when the question was asked, do you have an OLED or are you going to launch an OLED? Uh, the answer was, well, it's certainly in development. Yeah, I got the impression. Obviously, like you say, Phil, uh, nothing this year. But uh, I would be very surprised <laughs> if they don't have something out uh, next year. I mean... Certainly, um, some kind of OLED display. I'd have thought absolutely, and also given they've already got um, two 4K four K displays that I know of, the 152 inch at one end of the spectrum, and the 20 inch at the other end of the spectrum, you know, you'd assume they might have something in the middle um, out at some point as well. Uh, and, and and of course, what I mean, you know, like I say, that they need to bring out something to generate some interest, and and certainly OLED generated a lot of interest for Samsung and LG at um, at CES, didn't it? Yes. Uh, I mean, th those were the main attractions. If if you go to any technology website, be that AV forums or any of the other hundreds and thousands of uh, blogs and websites out there, I mean, you look at the CES coverage and I'll guarantee you that the LG and the Samsung are the main products being uh, spoken about in terms of CES. Uh, those were the products that, that drew the biggest crowds. Um, when you went on the stands, it was impossible at Samsung and LG to get to the front, I, I guess we managed because we had press badges and we could force a way in there because they were stopping people taking photographs. So n people that didn't have a press badge uh, were being forbidden from even taking photographs of the products there. Yeah, uh, that that all comes down to the industrial espionage angle. Well, it's kind of the opposite theory. extreme, isn't it? We had uh, <laughs> Sony and Panasonic being quite open and very honest and frank with us, both about you know the business and the technology. Um, and then the other end of the stream, particularly Samsung and CES, who were being incredibly secretive yeah. uh, and, and, and weren't giving any specifications, wouldn't let you take pictures of stuff. You know, it was um, one extreme to the other, really. Yeah. So getting back to Panasonic, I mean, that's the whole reason why, you know, there's bigger uh, LED screens. There's a passive LED screen and the plasma uh, lineup has been shrunken down to core models this year. And it makes perfect business sense, Steve. I mean, if your company is... Uh, you know, hemorrhaging profits, um, and you know you're you're firmly uh, in the red as 
all of them are at the moment. I don't think any of the TV divisions, any company is, has turned a, a profit in the last year or two. You can see why they're they're using the resources um, a, a little bit more conservatively and, and targeting at, at ranges where they will get sales. Yeah, absolutely, Phil. I mean, you, yeah, let's be honest about this. The, the, the biggest uh, area of, of sales in TVs is in LED LCD TVs. So you'd be crazy, given that they have the facilities to, to build their own panels, to not be putting product out there in those in those markets. Um, and the same thing is, as you say, plasma sales, uh, you know, aren't as anywhere near as big as as, um, as LED LCD. And although Panasonic do have the lion's share of that market. You know, there were just too many models last year, and, and they needed to, you know, consolidate and 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 basically stick with the ones they know they can sell, and they know they can sell ST fifties, and they know they're going to sell VT fifties, and then they're going to sell, um, you know, some of the entry level stuff. So, so that's what they're concentrating on. I, I found it. I was, you know, given how few plasmas LG now have in their lineup, I think they only had four on display at CES. Um, and and quite surprised at how few. I mean, I understand why I've done it, but once again, how few plasmas there are now in Panasonic's lineup. You, know, you have to start wondering how long plasma does have to, before it's gradually phased out over the next few years. Because you know, I, mean, I, I should imagine the last company standing will be Panasonic as far as plasma goes. I should imagine LG will go first, followed by um, Samsung. Um, but you know, I I, I, I couldn't help but feel that um, I was beginning to see the, the beginning of the end for Plasma um, when we were in Hamburg. Oh, you're such a negative person. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can see where you're coming from, but I don't think Plasma is going to be phased out until there is a replacement technology, uh, be that OLED or CLED or whatever it is. I, I, there's still going to be a market for it. Panasonic just invested far too much money. Um, in, well, like in, I said, that's why I said they'll be the last one yeah, standing. Yeah, um, and they have a 42% share of a very small yeah. market. Of a very <laughs> small market. Um, but in terms of picture quality, though, I mean, there is no denying that Plasma still is uh, the choice for the enthusiast market, certainly, and, and certainly for those people that want uh, quality images, um, quality black levels and so on. Um, I, I certainly haven't seen anything this year from what we've seen pre-production-wise, Steve, in terms of LED, LCD, uh, this kind of made me sit up and take notice. Um, yeah, the designs are nice again. Yes, they're, they're trying to sort out the issues with edge LED. We're seeing some manufacturers do full LED panels with local dimming. But in terms of, of absolute picture quality, I've, I still haven't seen anything that's really knocked my socks off in yeah. in that area of the market. The only one that I've seen, and I, you were with me at the time, which I did impress me, I thought that looks actually looks pretty good, was was the 8-series Sharp that we saw in at CES, um, which had a full backlight array but no local dimming, but had pretty good blacks, and, and that did look quite good for an LED LCD. Yeah. Um, but you're right, otherwise, I'm not, I, don't get me wrong, uh, yes, Plasma absolutely is the best quality image you're going to get in the current market at a, at a sensible price, um, and it will remain so for some time to come. Um, my point was just being that you know I was surprised that Panasonic, being the biggest flag waver for pan for plasma, um, had dropped as many lines as they had. Um, that 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 took me by surprise, but I understand why they've done it, and as you've already explained, um, it just and, and and obviously they're still they're still refining the technology. I mean, again, this year they they've made improvements to their to their lineup. You know, improvements to the ambient filter, improvements to the panel. There's the 2,500 hertz um, sub subfield drive. Basically, the the the, um, the pixel, the sorry, the cell, the plasma cells. You know, um, can change go from black to white from white to black in 
0.4 of a millisecond, which is incredibly fast. Um, when you consider that it's four milliseconds for an LCD, so that's, you know, ten times faster. Yeah, it, um, it, isn't that funny? Because the the Kuro it has been capable of that for the last four years, even though it's not in production anymore. Uh, the panel <laughs> response was was zero point four milliseconds. Uh, so that's interesting, isn't it? Let's just show you show you how over engineered <laughs> the Kuro was at the time. <laughs> over engineered and underpriced, and that's yeah, well, exactly. That was the problem: over engineered and selling for half of what it should be selling for. Yeah, yes. uh, not a great yeah, business so, model. I mean, we can see why why they've just that. They still have uh, economies of scale on their side, Steve. Even though they have closed uh, quite a few factories down and, and only have the two major plasma plants now in uh, in Japan, but obviously they have their overseas facilities as well. But um, I, I guess you know the, the economy is killing everybody at the moment, and certainly, I mean, Sonia brought in a new boss who comes in in April, uh, and his first task is to sort out the TV department. Which, uh, you know, you've been over, you've seen the technology that's coming this year. So hopefully, they'll be able to turn it around because you know these companies can only take huge losses for so many years before they turn around and say, right, enough's enough. Let's let's stop making TVs. I mean, look at Philips; they no no longer manufacture their TVs. Uh, that's all outsourced. Um, even look at the Korean companies. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of the panels outsourced as well. Um, so it's it's affecting everybody, even the number one. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, in fact, funnily enough, on on the way out to Tokyo, there was some of the journalists was, had been talking. There had been rumours that Sony would put out a TV to you market, which I think was one of the reasons for for the whole trip in the first place was to show that they they are committed to TVs and they're not going to pull out the TV market. Um, but you couldn't blame them, given the numbers that they showed us in terms of the market generally, you know, and the fact that the, 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 the US and, and Western Europe and Japan are saturated. And who the hell are you going to sell TVs to? You know, I mean, unless they're replacing a TV that's broken. They've spent the last five years getting everyone to buy a high-def TV. Now they've got a high-def TV. Yeah. Um, there's Blu-ray, so they can watch high-def Blu-ray. There's high-def broadcasts. Great. Um, no one's interested in 3D, so no one's going to do that. Um, so they're only what do they do now? Either they go for the picture quality angle and say OLED, you know, if they can make a TV, an OLED TV that's at a, at a marketable price, um, that might be one angle. Or they go for the high resolution angle of 4K. But the problem there is there's no delivery system, so you're back to square one. So right now, I, I, must, I must admit, it's a difficult time for TV manufacturers. And then, of course, on top of all that, you have the the mentality certainly in this country. Um, which which has been prevalent for probably the last 20 odd years i mean uh, if you go to germany and you speak to someone in a bar they'll tell you uh, that they spent 25000 euros on their bmw and they'll be proud that they spent that much money on their bmw and you go to a bar in the uk and speak to somebody and they'll tell you how proud they are that they picked theirs up for 17 grand yeah um, you know it's it's this bargain culture and of course when you have uh, volume retailers knocking out prices, uh, knocking out TVs for less than they're actually buying them in. That just creates problems market wide. There's there's no margin in TV anymore. Certainly in the 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 sort of mainstream consumer channels. Um, if you speak to any retailer, they'll tell you they make about five pound to fifteen pound on a TV. I mean, you you can't run a business like that. Even online, no, you can't run a right. business like that. You just want to wonder what, what 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 the logic is. It's like they're cutting their own throats at the moment in terms of their margins on TV sales, particularly the mass market ones. 
um you know maybe they claw a little bit back on some of the higher end stuff but basically for the majority of time you say they're not making any money the retailers aren't making any money and you know and people are expecting perfection from a consumer product at a knockdown price um they're not going to get it yeah. um and and they're you know and it's not sustainable any more than pioneer producing a eight grand tv and selling it for four yeah or fujitsu for that matter with the- yeah with their lineup as well, which which is sadly missed. So, um, just to wrap up on on everything that we saw at Panasonic, it wasn't just the uh, uh, the new lines of TVs that took our interest. Um, Smart Vieira, it's been bandied about, same as the Smart TV from LG and Samsung and SEN from Sony and so on. Everybody's now pushing uh, the whole interactive side of TV, and uh, that was the prevalent theme of CES this year as well, Steve. Um, it, it was all... Connectivity, YouTube, interactivity, video, video on, on demand, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, that that was that was the main push with Justin Timberlake there for uh, MySpace, for Panasonic, and uh, who was the other one there, the big actor? Uh, um, well, Ed Begley Jr.? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 I was going to no, say, because no, no. I think I've only once even knows who he is. <laughs> no, I was on about Will Smith. Oh, uh, Will Smith. Will Smith being at the Sony stand. Sony stand. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, I mean that was that was a big push at CES. Again, it was a big push at the Panasonic convention. It was obviously a big push when you were out in Japan. It's yep. it's the way that manufacturers are going this year. And in terms of the UK market, definitely video on demand, as you've already hinted at, is is huge in the UK. Um, the BBC iPlayer, it, it's a technology which uh, kudos to BBC for doing it. Uh, you know, it, it's yeah, good yeah, to see. They were well ahead of the game with that, weren't they? They were, and for a publicly funded body as well. You know, that's where I, I like to see my license money go on technology like that. So I, you know, I can watch it on my mobile, I can watch it on my tablet, watch it on my TV, on my PC, on my laptop. Great, uh, especially in in you know the the way that we watch TV nowadays with Sky Plus and Virgin, uh, with their TiVo system and so on. It's all about time shifting. It's all about watching stuff when you want to watch it. And in terms of smart TV, I think that that's definitely the growth area for the UK market. Um, I noticed our European friends weren't so taken with the technology um, from from that side of things. Um, certainly a couple of the German uh, uh, journalists that I've been on press trips with before and who I've, I've spoken to, they didn't seem that impressed with, it, with the whole smart TV system. But I, I think in the UK... It's going to have legs. Um, yeah, I mean, well, it goes back to the at the beginning of this conversation when we t- I was talking about the survey that, that Sony did. You know, as I said, on a worldwide basis, they, they were the two least important factors. But in the UK, um, because of things like iPlayer, it actually is more important. Uh, you know, and, and as you say, Phil, that I mean they were pushing uh, not just Panasonic. Every manufacturer is pushing their their smart TV platform because it's their it, well, as like I said, like we were talking about earlier. What they need somebody to push TVs, and this is the thing they decided is going to help sell more TVs. People want to combine the internet and and all their connectivity and their downloading and their music files and their videos. They want to combine it into one place, and manufacturers hope that that one place, or as Panasonic referred to it, the digital half, will be um, the TV. The TV in your room will be that sort of focal point for your digital um, network. Um, now, I'm not personally convinced by that because. And we've had this discussion before, Phil, because watching TV is an inherently passive activity. You sit on, on your sofa and you watch whatever you're watching, a film, TV program. Whereas 
the internet is very much an interactive activity. Um, and I'm not sure that the two are actually mutually um, mutually inclusive. I think they're actually mutually exclusive in some respects. Yeah. Um, so, so, so you know, whilst I understand video down da- video on demand, catch up, catch up TV. Yeah, absolutely. That's a viewing thing. That's a very much a TV thing. That makes sense to me. But do I want to be Skyping my friends whilst watching TV? Um, possibly during a sporting event, that might make some sense. But certainly not when I'm watching a film. I want, I want to watch the film or I want to watch the TV program. I don't want someone bothering me. I don't want someone ringing me up. I don't want someone tweeting me and texting me. You know, um, I'd find that quite annoying, actually. Well, um, maybe, maybe that's because I'm an old, you know, I'm an old, old guy, and, and and the younger generation do want to do that, and that's what they already do do. In fact, uh, so perhaps I'm just just too old to appreciate it. But it does seem to me as, as though, having already made a mistake with 3D, they're in danger of making the same mistake again with internet TV. Well, with internet TV, possibly with with on demand, you know, that's a couple of clicks on your remote control. Um, to access iPlayer, to click on what you want to watch, and then go. Uh, when it comes to the internet, this is this is the big, big problem. How do you get a QWERTY keyboard to yeah, work? Yeah, exactly. Um, Web browsing on a TV is a pain in the bum. Yeah, I mean, totally. And and even the new trackpad, uh, which Panasonic have on the, the WT and the VT this year, so you get two remotes, you get your, your normal uh, TV remote, you also get this trackpad, which is touch-sensitive. Um but the QWERTY keyboard still comes up on the TV and you still have to highlight each letter that you want to punch in uh, for a web address or to reply to yeah. a tweet and so on. Um, that's just utterly frustrating. It's It doesn't work. And, you know, you've got your mobile phone, you've got your tablet, which are far easier to type on to tweet and to Facebook and, and, and so on. Um, so why would you do it on your TV where yeah, it's going to I mean, take an absolute age to type it in? It, that's there are, that's the problem. There are apps, of course, to control your TV with your smartphone or your tablet, and, and you can use a keyboard on that for that. But the point is, if you've got this tablet in your hand, then why don't you just look it up on the tablet? You know, yeah, It seems yeah. strange to then use a tablet to look it up on the TV when you can just do it on the tablet. Yeah, and, um, and of course, you know, TV viewing nowadays, I mean, it, it's, not, it's not the same for everybody. I am generalizing here, but... Uh, for the vast majority of people nowadays when watching TV, you're normally sitting with your mobile or you're sitting with your tablet with a TV on and uh, you very rarely, in, uh, certainly in my world, I very rarely actually sit and watch a whole TV programme without being distracted by either somebody Skyping me or uh, you know the phone going off or I'm, I'm looking at a web page and sort of listening and watching to the TV in the background. Um, TV's certainly not what it used to be where, you know, the whole family sat around on an evening because it was the only thing to do. We've, we've got far busier lives these days. We've got far more things to be wasting our time on. And face it, we are wasting our time with <laughs> Twitter and Facebook and so on. But we're all guilty of it. We all do it. Um, and certainly TV doesn't have the pool, apart from maybe the odd drama series that you have to follow. It, it doesn't have the same pool because we've got busier lives. We've got yeah. less free time these days to do things. So we try to cram everything in, in one go. In fact, well, you're dead right, Phil. In fact, actually, it's a very good point you made there because that the manufacturers want the TV to become the centerpiece of the home. But in actual fact, as you just pointed out, whilst it used to be that that was the case 20 to 30 years ago, uh, it no longer is. In fact, if anything, because of things like time shifting, TVs are, 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 are people don't people don't all sit around together and watch a program at the same time. I hardly ever watch live TV. I, I, I video m- record most of the stuff that I want to watch, you know, on series record, and then just watch it as and when I, I feel like it. Partly because I hate seeing through advert breaks. Um, so you know, 
I think you made a very valid point there, Phil, that, that, that in fact, that, if anything, the TV is less of a centre point in the home now than it's ever been, in fact. Uh, and um, from that point of view, you know, it's, I can't see how you can make it the centre point again, because as you say, we've got so many other distractions uh, in our modern lives. The one thing that is was quite cool though. i mean the thing is whilst i'm you know, maybe a bit of a i'm not trying to sound like a luddite here because i think the technology itself is is incredible at times the whole idea of just touching on your smartphone and switching your finger and it comes up on the screen was very impressive so you have something similar they call it catch and throw you, know, you throw it to the tv you'll catch it from the tv but same principle you know you take footage content off the tv onto your smartphone or vice versa and you could do things like you know you could take the footage if you're watching something on tv like a football match or something and wanted to go and make a cup of tea you, know, you can just transfer it to your app to your tablet and then go off and watch it in the kitchen on that that kind of thing is quite useful and, and, and in, in the technology itself is incredibly impressive you know, what they're capable of doing is amazing but I, I question whether whether the you know whether whether they can really make the TV the centerpiece of a digital home again um, because of the nature of our lives now. Yeah, I, I totally totally agree with you there. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how people adapt to smart TV over the next year. Uh, certainly with the new systems that are coming in. I mean, Samsung uh, are doing things differently. They have uh, voice activation as well as hand gestures for their smart TV. So it'll be interesting to see how, how that interacts and, and if it's useful or not. Um, so certainly they all have their, their different ideas how it's going to work. Certainly I think some applications are going to work out far better than others, such as the iPlayer, like uh, 5 Demand and, and 4OD. And uh, yeah, it's it's one of these things that, I guess it's the only thing they've got left to sell now that 3D um, is certainly now seen as, as just a normal feature on, on TVs uh, for this year. Um, it's the only thing that they've had to push because there is no 4K or, uh, v- you know, viable OLED technology yeah. or, or, or other display technology coming along at least this year. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, we're, we're now getting into the season of new release. Um, so we're going to see new release TVs from all the manufacturers over the next few months. We're going to be busy in, yeah, terms, very. Of, in terms of reviews, uh, but we will get them all covered uh, eventually. So uh, just wrapping up on the Panasonic convention, uh, the I guess the interesting things that we take away are they're bringing out a smartphone. Yep, which they, uh, the they, Iluga, which is a strange name. They haven't, which had, is, they haven't waterproof had a, and dustproof, yeah, isn't it? And, and <laughs> aimed they, for the European market. So, uh, do we drop them down the toilet a lot? I'm not quite sure why <laughs> to be waterproof. But well, I, I guess it's aimed at drunk journalists. Steve, <laughs> you know. um, moving on from from that, obviously the the interoperability between the smartphone and your tablets and so on, and the TVs, like you say, throw and catch and all that kind of thing. Um, that is interesting. Uh, obviously, the other interesting thing was the Lumix cameras. Um, yeah, that was actually quite interesting too. You know, so, I mean, people are lazy. They don't like to take the SD card out of the camera and then have to walk across to the TV and insert the SD card. You can just throw it onto the TV now, um, magically. <laughs> yeah, you, you could, uh, you <laughs> How could does that technology it? work? It's magic. <laughs> it, it was it was genuinely impressive. I mean, it, it like, was, you, yeah. Well, wow. You know, you can do so. I, I mean, honestly, I'm... Even you know, even though we're tech journalists, sometimes I think I I, I don't even know it could, I didn't even know who could do that. It's amazing. <laughs> no, it's just that you you don't know much. Anyway, so uh, wrapping up on that, it was interesting. The video is up on the site now, so avforums.tv. Go and have a look at the video. Uh, it is twenty six minutes long, but then again, Steve, uh, there was an awful lot to cram in there, and I guess uh, yeah, it was. You, you know, it's it, everything had to be covered, and uh, we would have been told off. 
if we hadn't had everything up there. So it is up there, it's in-depth, but it's certainly worth 26 minutes of your time. Um, another couple of things that we got to talk about, I mean, at the time of recording this podcast, and it's going out today, um, 24th to 26th of February, Bristol Sound and Vision Show, as always, at the Marriott City Centre Hotel in Bristol. 190 brands this year on display, and uh, Steve will be heading along with Russell. Uh, certainly, you're going to have your audio hat on instead of the TV hat uh, for this weekend's Bristol show, Steve, and um, looks like there's there's a couple of interesting things to see there in terms of audio. And uh, I, again, it's one of these shows where it, it seems to be a fifty fifty split. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, my experience of the Bristol show, it's it's, it's very audio heavy. heavy. Um, you, you do have the manufacturers there on the TV side, the projector side, particularly projector side actually, things like JVC and Sim um, and Sony, but. Um, but but I mean part of the main reason for I'll be there and, and Russell will be there as well is so that we can uh, we can look we can meet up with some of the manufacturers on the audio side take a look at what's new there. I mean I admit you know that there tends to be less um, less sort of development and and new products on the audio side than there is on the um, on the TV and projector side. You know a, a speaker is ultimately still a speaker, but. Uh, but you know there are there are some interesting things going on with things like streaming uh, streaming content, um, you know, and, and uh, things like that. The, the um, just reviewed the Cambridge um, DAC um, DAC Magic Plus, which you know, had a nice little attachment where you could stream content to it, uh, and that kind of thing is you now is is changing. And it goes back to the whole point we've been making about um, about uh, TVs, you know, and, and the idea that you know, the music as well, of course, is another thing that's now stored on a hard drive and just streamed around the house. Uh, and um, some of the things we saw with Sony, in fact, involved. Um, speakers, you know, that, that you can stream content to, um, you know, wi- Wi-Fi speakers, um, and that, that's that's something where, where where music is now, well, music delivery, should I say, is is changing. So we'd be interested to look at some of that stuff at the Bristol show. And uh, in April, April the 11th to the 15th is the Gadget Show Live. Tickets still available online, not for the weekend or so. The Friday, the Saturday, and the Sunday are now sold out. Uh, but you can still get tickets for the Wednesday and the Thursday. It's the UK's biggest uh, home electronics show, um, based obviously on the Gadget Show TV series. But uh, it is one of those events, Steve, biggest event in the UK in terms of uh, getting to see the new products. I mean, uh, the, all the large manufacturers uh, do turn out for this. It's a mixture of gaming, TV, home cinema. I mean, you you name it, it will be there at the at the Gadget Show Live, as will AV Forums. We've got our own stand there. And we're doing a demonstration this year uh, in association with Sim2 and Anthem AV. And the system we're going to be showing off is a living room system, so not your back cave. Uh, we're actually going to take a little bit of a different approach, Stephen, and show people how good te- technology is in terms of projector technology nowadays for, you know, rooms that are less than ideal. Your living room, yeah. for example. Yeah. How, how you can have a projector in there with a high contrast screen uh, and have something that looks like a plasma screen that's 90, 100 inches wide. Uh, you can have it hanging from the ceiling and, and it disappear at the end of the day when, when you finish watching a movie. And that's certainly uh, a growth area in terms of the home cinema market, certainly this year and, and, and for... The next few years, I see that is uh, is a growing area. Yeah, definitely, Phil. There's no question that um, for the custom installers and people like that, what they call you know lifestyle installations are definitely becoming very popular. People, you know, people want to watch their content on a large screen, but in their living room, they don't want the living room to be a bat cave. Um, and I can understand that. I mean, most wives probably don't want their husbands painting the walls black. But the one thing I have experienced, it quite quite it's quite common actually, is pe- people's experience of projectors 
almost exclusively comes from seeing football matches projected in pubs. And of course, you know, that's nothing like what, what you can achieve in the home with a good projector and a proper setup. So hopefully people, when they come to the, to the show, will get a chance to see just how good um, home video can actually look when done properly uh, in an environment that is like their own lounge. So yeah, that's the Gadget Show, uh, 11th to the 15th. Like I say, I mean, the, the weekend has sold out. Uh, expecting well over 100,000 people to turn up to that one. It should be interesting. It's the first time we've done it uh, as a website. Uh, just to get the AV Forum's name out there, hopefully uh, give some people some valuable information as well on their home cinema setups or TV setups and so on. We're going to have a meet the experts. I don't I don't like the word experts. Uh, yeah, that, 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 that sets us up for a fool, I say. That's but, but there is the opportunity to speak to myself, Steve, uh, Russell yes. and Mark. Uh, we'll all be there on the stand uh, to answer questions, to go through stuff uh, with people, whether it be which TV uh, should they buy, that kind of thing, how did they set it up and so on. And Russell will be there as well with his his audio knowledge uh, to go through stuff. If you've got any issues, come and have a, come and have a chat on the AV Forum stand at our... Yeah. It's almost it's like nice a genius bar that we have, isn't it? It's <laughs> fantastic. Anyway, uh, so that's the Gadget Show. And like I say, the, the Bristol Show is also on this weekend and, and Steve will have his report up there, probably 27th, 28th sort of time, Steve. Yeah. I guess it depends on how drunk you and Russell get. You know, you've set the, set the stand. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, I've set a precedent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, you can also follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can follow the main AV Forums account at AV Forums, uh, or you can follow myself and Steve at Phil Hinton and at Stephen Withers. That's Stephen with a PH. Uh, so you can follow our Twitter feeds. We normally uh, discuss stuff uh, that we are doing, what we've got in for review, that kind of thing. So if you're interested in finding out what's going on behind the scenes, uh, then follow us on there. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash AV Forums, uh, where you'll find the latest AV news, the latest reviews, and so on from our Facebook page. And also, don't forget the video coverage, uh, which is being added to uh, on a weekly basis at the moment, video reviews, and uh, also from product launches like the Panasonic Convention, which that video went up uh, today as we record this podcast. Uh, that's avforums.tv. So I guess that's all we got time for uh, this evening, Steve. Uh, well over an hour's worth of conversation yeah. again. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. Um, anyway, so we will be back again on the 21st of March. So join us again for the Home Center podcast. Don't forget, also, we have other podcasts which are released during the month. So on the 7th of March, we have the Movies podcast. On the 14th of March is the Gaming podcast. 21st of March, like I mentioned, the Home Center podcast. And on the 28th of February and the 28th of March is the uh, podcast extra uh, where we go through our forum news competitions and all that kind of stuff so join us for that so thanks very much for your time Steve thank you Phil and remember to join us again next month this is Phil Hinton saying thanks very much for listening please stay subscribed and we'll see you again soon the AV podcast was presented by Phil Hinton original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove the AV podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV podcast is copyright M2M Limited.